Well, welcome everyone uh, to Blackhawk Church. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, when I woke up and drove here, it was a balmy negative 10 with a wind chill of negative 25. Thank you, Wisconsin. And thank you, everyone who braved that, who are in this room today. Welcome. Welcome, everyone online. We're so glad you're here. Light that chat up. Welcome, everyone at Gospel Fusion, Traditions, Downtown, What's Up, Fitchburg, we're so glad that you're here to the Mandarin speakers, uh, Dijon J, Mei Ping An, and to the Spanish speakers, Bienvenidos a Blackhawk. Welcome. Um, and I just want to say really quick, I love that uh, Blackhawk Church is a multicultural church where we have different people who gather together and speak different languages. I love that. But I also, here's just a little, little bit about me. Languages take a little bit longer for me. I mean, a lot of us were probably really good at a lot of things, but there's some things that take a little bit longer. That's me in languages. Um, but I try to work hard. I've taken different languages uh, throughout just school and my past. And with that, knowing this about me when I was in college and I knew that I had to take a language to graduate, I was like, okay, what do I do? You know, languages take a little bit longer than I thought sign language. I will take sign language because sign language, you use your hands and that's different and different is easy, right? No, <laughs> I had to work really, really, really hard. And I was the person in class that everyone kind of knew that I had to work really hard, which is fine. I'm the guy asking questions, but Hey, one time our teacher was like, okay, everyone, I'm going to pair, like group you up into teams and you're going to do a team project. And then I thought, great. Because I'm okay not getting a good grade when it's on me, but I'm not okay with my team not getting a good grade when it's on me. But we got our teams, and I remember standing up, walking to like the corner of the classroom where my team was, and all of them looked at me and let out a collective sigh. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're not going to get an A now. <laughs> And they were right. <laughs> but hey, C's get degrees. That's my motto. So no, A's are good too. But I worked really hard. But hey, I do want to say that sign language, I learned it's a really, really beautiful and intricate language. So if you sign and you're tuning in right now, I want to do a quick welcome to you. So hello, uh, welcome. We are happy that you are here. Take that sign language class. <laughs> no, I just, uh, but the team, I mean, have you ever been in a situation before where you're like joining a, a team, whether it's like at work or school or, or, or sports, and you go to the team and you're like, yeah, let's do this. And they're like, oh, that person. Or like you're on a team and you're really excited. You're like, we're going to crush this. And then someone joins your team. You're like, oh, man. I mean, that's, the, that's kind of like what happens with teams because... Every person that's on a team, everyone contributes to the success of that team, right? Everyone does. Everyone contributes to the culture of the team, the health of the team. Everyone matters. When you're on your own, it's like you can do whatever you want because it's on you. But on a team, like, man, you got to pull your weight. And when you're on a really good team, like the Green Bay Packers, come on, this is a big game today. Like, let's go Packers. That's good when you're on a good team. But when you're on a not so good team... <coughs> Dallas Cowboys. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, something, it's the cold, you know. <coughs> Pardon me. No. When you're on a not so good team, you know, people can be let down on your team. So why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about teams? Because today we're talking about God's team. Today we're talking about 
Christians. The title for today's talk is, What If I Love Jesus But Struggle with Christians? And all of us can probably relate to that phrase in one way or another, whether you consider yourself a part of the team or not. What if I love Jesus but struggle with Christians? We're going there today. We're going there. So let's start. There uh, was a really just interesting uh, and really fascinating research project that the Barna Research Group did. Uh, they actually uh, surveyed 255 million American adults. And here's some of the stuff that they came up with that they found out. That out of the 255 uh, million Americans, <clears throat> 14% are non-Christians. These are people who either like adhere to a different faith, believe in a different faith, but not Christianity. The next 24% were spiritually open skeptics. These were the like, yeah, I, th- I think God exists, but I'm not ready to, to really pull my, throw my weight into a different religion or Christianity. The next 30% claimed that they are Jesus followers or exposed to Christianity. These are the people who perhaps maybe grew up in a Christian church and they maybe don't go to church or they don't read the Bible. Like Christianity doesn't really influence them in any way. And, but if they're like filling out a, a questionnaire, they might check like, yeah, I'm Christian. And then the last group, that's the engaged Christians. These are the Christians who are active in their faith. Probably a lot of people in this room and and watching right now, active in their faith. Now, this is where the research gets uh, pretty interesting. So Barna Research Group found out that out of the 200, out of 255 million people that they surveyed, 219 million or 86% have a favorable view of Jesus. Okay, that's actually pretty phenomenal, okay? 219 million American adults right now have a favorable view of Jesus. And I should actually say this survey was done in 2021 between April and June. So, but still, 219 million, 86%. That's people who are saying like, yeah, Jesus, his life, like that's worth emulating. Like Jesus, he's a, he's a good guy. Like he loved people, like he loves me. Okay, I can get on board with Jesus. And if you're like me, you might be thinking like, Oh my goodness, that 86% of these American adults are like that close to following Jesus. Like, let's go team, let's do something, let's move towards them. But the Barna Research Group found out some more stuff. This is what they found out, that out of the 219 million or 86% that have a favorable view of Jesus, only 11% have a favorable view of Christians. Only 11%. That's the same statistic when it comes to favorability that Americans have with Congress. (laughs) Yeah, Christians, Congress. That's how people view the team. That means that only 11% are remotely opening to hearing from Christians about Jesus. That means that the rest, no matter how convincing our arguments are, no matter how loud we are, they just honestly want nothing to do with us. They, they don't even want to hear they're closed and they're like open to Jesus to have a favorable view. But Christians, now I'm not open to the team. And honestly, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of get it. <laughs> When I was in seminary and grad school, I was also a waiter in LA and no one wanted to work the Sunday lunch shift because the Sunday lunch shift was known as the after church crowd. And the after church crowd 
uh, was known to be just really demanding, really entitled, just, just terrible tippers. And honestly, a lot of coworkers would be like, Michael, you're a Christian, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, how could you ever associate yourself with those people? I got that all the time. And honestly, I was like, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I, like, sometimes I don't want to, you know? Because honestly, like, Christians don't have the best reputation. There's been so many church scandals, so many abuses of power, so many sexual abuses, hypocrisy, unfair judgment. There's, there's cliques. And that's not just happening now. I mean, we're, we're realizing that throughout history, the witness of Jesus has been tarnished by his, his witnesses. Way back when the Crusades happened, countless Christ, Christians killed countless of people. Christians have helped fuel race-based slavery. Christians helped set up Jim Crow laws. There is a growing, just unhealthy, almost idolatry and, and like power dynamics when it happens or when it, uh, when Christians kind of navigate politics. I mean, people are interested in Jesus, but not the team. I'll meet so many people that I'll talk to them and, you know, we just kind of start talking about faith and they'll be like, oh, hey, listen, Michael, like I, I listen to podcasts. I'll watch um, maybe like a music video or listen to worship music. Um, you know, I'll even crack open my Bible, but and then I'll say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? And they're like, nope, I don't want to come to church. And I'll say, why? And they're like, honestly, because of the people who go there. And I realize right now I'm talking to a bunch of people at a church and hey, listen, I'm a professional churchgoer. Like I get paid to go to church, so I get it. But this is an important conversation that I think the church family, we need, we need to have this conversation because out there, a lot of people love Jesus, but they struggle with Christians. But, but with that, you know, Christians have not, don't have like the best reputation, but Christians have also done a lot of really good things. I kind of want to turn the corner right now because Christians have been known for doing some pretty, pretty phenomenal things. There's uh, an author by the name of Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but that would be kind of cool. But there's an author by the name of Tom Holland who wrote a book called Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. This is a really thick book. It's a fantastic read. I encourage everyone to, to read it if you're into like just history. And he goes through a lot of like phenomenal ways that uh, Christians have positively influenced the world. And one of the things that I want to talk about is human rights. This is what um, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, um, wrote about human rights. He says that every human being possessed an equal dignity, not uh, equal dignity was not remotely self-evident a truth. A Roman would have laughed at it. The origins of this principle, as Nietzsche had so contemptuously pointed out, lay not in the French Revolution, nor in the Declaration of Independence, nor in the Enlightenment, but in the Bible. This guy wasn't a Christian. He was writing this. And Christians have done so many really, really great things too, like the, the rise of education and development as we know it, like monasteries and different cathedral schools would evolve into universities and that would encourage different American Christians to, to uh, found universities like Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Columbia, Brown, Dartmouth, and so on and so on and so on. 
And UW-Madison, like a lot of its founders, like John Bascom, they were Christians and did ministry a lot of times on the side. Christians are known for when there's people who are marginalized or hurting or sick, they actually move towards those people, even at the uh, cost of their own well-being, their own health. Christians have helped develop hospitals as we know it, foster care, orphanages, humanitarian organizations like, hold up, way to go team. Like, honestly, Christians, you've helped remake this world in a positive way. But if you're like me, you might be thinking right now, okay, hold up. There's been so many not so good things that Christians have done and so many good things that Christians have done, like what's going on, what's up with this up and down. Can we just get it right? <laughs> right? Can we just, come on, team, can we just get it right? Well, the answer is probably not because the church is not a perfect team, but a family following Jesus together. This is really important. It's important because I have it on the screen and I want you to actually really, really let this soak in because it's intentional. The church is not a perfect team, but a family following Jesus together. That is why there's so many ups and downs. And not only that, this family, we're imperfect we're imperfect and we're following a perfect God. The church is not a perfect team. And because of that, we're not going to perform well. We're just not. We're a family. And that means we're not going to kick people out who don't perform well. And in this context, by family, I'm talking about, you know, a family that's trying to move towards health. I know there's a lot of different types of families out there, but, but a relatively healthy family, you're not going to kick someone out. Like, like you're probably not going to have a conversation. Hey, grandma, like thanks for the cookies and kind of for life to listen. You're getting a little older and you haven't been performing for the family. So you're out or hey, little toddler. Hey, cutie. Like your mom and I, we love you, but we've noticed you're not pulling your weight. And if you don't start, you got to pack up those little diapers and get on out. Like, no, we're not going to do that to family. We're not going to do that to our church because we are a family. But here's the point and the problem. We don't have that mindset when it comes to the church. We view the church as a perfect team, but not a family. And because of that, that's led to so many types of deconstruction. So many types of deconstruction. But today, what I want to do is I want to move towards reconstruction. I want to hopefully change our expectation on what it means to be the church, on who the church is. That's what I want to talk about today, that the church is not a perfect team, but a family following Jesus together. That's what we're going to go today for the rest of the time that I have. And I want to start... <laughs> I want to start by talking about, okay, what does it mean to be a part of this, this family? Here's some verses, some passages that talk about what it looks like to be a part of God's family. It says, see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Here's the deal. 
Here's the deal. If you have made the decision to follow Jesus, if you're like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. God is now your father. What happens is that you actually belong to him. He's your father. You're his family. And what that means is you are also a family of everyone else who calls God their father. You belong to each other. And honestly, that's, that's what families are all about. Families, the glue of a family is about belonging. And families, you belong, no matter how messy it is, how different people in your family can be, how imperfect you are, you belong. That's what it's about. The church is not a, not a perfect team, but a family following Jesus together. We're a family. The next thing I want to talk about is why. Like, okay, why, Jesus? Why are we a family and not a perfect team? God, why did you choose this way to accomplish your purposes? And not only with that, like, I don't know about you, but I'll often kind of think like, Jesus, why did you choose the first family that you did? Like his, his disciples. Have you ever thought about that? I think, I think about it a lot. Like Jesus literally chose an educated fisherman he chose zealots who don't like tax collectors. So he's like, okay, well, let's bring some tax collectors in. Let's bring a tax collector in. It's like, what are you doing, Jesus? These are people who fundamentally don't and shouldn't get along together. And you're like, okay, for my first family, these are the people that I'm going to choose. Like, what? If Jesus were like a, like a CEO and he's like leading this startup and the disciples were his senior managers any board of directors would have honestly fired Jesus. Jesus, you're out of a job. The startup is not going to survive at all. And not only that, like, think about this. Jesus chose people who he knew were going to betray him. They're going to betray him in like pretty big ways. Judas and then Peter. If people that you know that were close to you were going to betray you, like you know they're going to betray you, what would you say to them? What would you say? This is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What? <laughs> okay, Jesus, this is your startup. The lead person is a betrayer. Okay, I understand that you're not choosing a perfect team, Jesus, and you're choosing a family, but level up, brother, level up a little bit. I mean, I feel like when I read the New Testament, the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus is just kind of walking and he's saying, you follow me, you follow me, you follow me. That's kind of what he did. It's like, Jesus, have some standards. Like, what about the quality of people that you're choosing to be the first family and lead? Like, why? Why are you doing this, Jesus? Because... Because to Jesus in his family, everyone belongs. Everyone belongs. You belong. I belong. He wasn't building a perfect team, but a family full of people who were imperfect, sinners, messy, poor, powerless, disenfranchised, sick, betrayers as family, not a perfect team. Because to Jesus, the church is not a perfect team, but a family following Jesus together. 
That's what the church is, a family. But while families aren't going to be perfect, like my family's not perfect, your family's not perfect, well, they're not perfect. And even like adding the word perfect to a person, that's just kind of not even a smart thing because literally no person is perfect. Therefore, no family's going to be perfect. That's not a thing. If you go to a church and everyone's perfect, you got to leave because something's not going on. That's right. We're not perfect. But while we're not perfect, we can be healthy, right? <laughs> We can make decisions as a family to move towards health. And when we do that, something amazing happens. People in your family can experience this radical sense of belonging. And in the church context, what I mean by healthy is making the decision to really follow Jesus, to really take his word seriously, to say like, I want to follow your words and follow you. That's what I mean by healthy. Because when that happens, man, people can experience this radical sense of belonging, what a family is supposed to be. So what happens to the first family? Well, after the Gospels, New Testament, you have first, the first four Gospels and then the book of Acts, Jesus ascends to heaven and the betrayer is leading the first family. You got all these misfits and different followers who, who came uh, together and then they just decided, okay, we're going to be family. Jesus is gone. And what they did next just blew everyone's expectation out of the water. This is what happens. This is Acts. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Are you kidding me? They sold And they gave, they were healthy. They all followed Jesus and everyone wanted to join that family. The sick, the disenfranchised, different cultures who speak different languages, different colors. They came together because everyone belonged. And what happened? The church exploded. It was healthy until it wasn't. (laughs) You see, after the book of Acts, the rest of the New Testament is just full of different books by different, with different people authoring them, different letters like the Apostle Paul, writing to different church families, giving them instructions on what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be, to be healthy to the church in Philippi, Galatia, Rome, so on and so on. All the way up through Revelation, Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to follow me and to be healthy because Jesus knows that when you make the decision to follow him and choose health, people can experience a radical sense of belonging. So what do you do then when you're in a church family that you don't experience that type of health? You notice something's off. What do you do? Well, I uh, grew up on the West Coast And my maternal grandmother, she was from the Midwest and she moved to the West Coast. And with that, she brought a lot of, I think, Midwestern traditions with her to our our West Coast family. One of them is her green jello salad. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Here's some laughing. You guys, her green jello salad. Every holiday, my grandma would bring this green jello salad, put it on the table, and we would just stare at this green jello salad. We would salivate. We're like, it was our favorite thing of every holiday meal. We loved it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is what was in my grandma's green jello salad. It was obviously green jello, and then it had 
pineapple chunks, walnuts, celery, carrots, raisins, marshmallows, cottage cheese, topped with Cool Whip. It couldn't be like aerosol whipping cream. It had to be Cool Whip because anything else was a sin to grandma. And listen, we loved it. We loved it. But I would talk to my West Coast friends and they're like, you're crazy. And I kind of get it. So I get it. I'm a West Coaster. Here you go. This is what West Coast people think a salad is, right? Notice the mixed greens. You know, notice that, the lettuce. This is a dessert that you're calling a salad because you want to think that it's healthy. I don't know. That's at least what I'm thinking and what I'm gathering here. This is a salad, but hey, we loved my grandma's green jello salad. We loved it so much until one Christmas. <laughs> See, my grandma, she was uh, sadly declining in age, and we didn't know how bad it was getting until we sat down. She presented us with her green jello salad. We, we leaned in because it was our favorite part of the meal. But my grandma, she didn't know and didn't even catch it that instead of putting green jello mix in the salad, she put banana pudding mix. <laughs> it was, okay, we can be real right now, right? It looked like a snot salad, <laughs> okay? It was like oozy, yellow with fruit, pineapple chunks. And we were like, oh, thanks, Grandma. And we didn't know what to do in the moment because it was Grandma. She didn't know what was going on. So in that moment, all of us collectively decided without saying anything to each other that we're going to pass the snot salad around the table and we're all going to eat it. We had to choke that thing down. It was not good. It was the worst thing that we've ever eaten. But here's the deal. I knew, I knew that my family would act that way. I 100% did because my family is not good at conflict. Don't worry. I got their permission to say that. We talked about the story and we were laughing a lot last week, my parents, but we're not that good at navigating conflict because some people in my family, when there's conflict, they're like, I'm in, let's go, let's fight. And then other people in my family are like, there's conflict. I'm running. I'm hiding until it's done. So in that moment, when we saw like the thing that we were looking forward to the most, this green jello salad, we're like, oh my goodness, grandma's She's declining today. She doesn't even know. What do we do? What do we say? And instead of moving towards conflict in a healthy way, instead of, you know, being healthy, saying, oh my gosh, hey, grandma, thanks so much. Like, hey, we're not going to eat that today. Like having that type of a conversation because no one wants to eat a snot salad. <laughs> we passed it around and we all took bites knowing this is probably our new salad tradition, our new family tradition. And when it comes to the church, honestly, I can't help but think that we're doing a similar thing. You see, when we gather as a family and we notice some unhealth, a lot of times instead of moving towards it, which can require some vulnerabilities, some conflict resolution, some conversations that could be hard, we don't. We sit at the table as a family, we pass the snot salad around the table and we eat it all the while wondering why other people aren't joining us at the table. They don't want to eat that. They're not interested in that. So when you find yourself in that type of a situation, what do you do? How do you respond? This is how Jesus responded. So Jesus, he, <clears throat> in the book of Revelation, he came to John and gave John a revelation. And Jesus, you see, in the book of Revelation, um, 
at the beginning, he was telling John to write to a few uh, different church families, to seven different church families. To some of them, Jesus was saying like, hey, you did a good job. You're doing great. To some of them, he's like, hey, you're not really healthy in this area. To some of them, Laodicea, which is on the screen right now, this is what Jesus said to Laodicea. He said, Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Yikes, Jesus. That's your family you're talking about. That's Laodicea. They're following you, but here's the deal. They weren't fully following Jesus. There was unhealth that they were willing to move, unwilling to move forward. So Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But that word spit, I think the NIV translators are being a little polite because this is what that word ameo actually means. Ameo means to vomit, to throw up. Jesus is saying, literally, Laodicea, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth to show his intense displeasure and rejection of their unhealth. Jesus would rather not only vomit the snot salad out, but everyone at the table because that doesn't belong at Jesus' table. Not at his table, not in his family. No matter where you're at, we need to pay attention to that. That's Jesus. It's a big deal. Unhealth? No. We're not perfect, but... So what happens when you're on the receiving end of that unhealth? What do you do? I remember um, a time when I was in seminary. I was my second year. I was studying to be a pastor. This is a bit of my story. Um, in my Masters of Divinity program at that time, you needed a couple years of an internship experience. So my second year, I was at a church. A lot of my friends at seminary, we were interning together um, at the same church. And one of my friends who was an intern, she came to us and she said, guys, we got to talk. And we're like, what? She said, I was at the church in a room by myself sitting on a couch on my laptop. And then the pastor came in and we're like, okay. And she said, he sat down on the couch and started edging himself towards me. And he started saying some really uncomfortable sexual things to me. I started experiencing sexual harassment. In that moment, her world turned upside down. She went to our seminary. They pulled every intern from that, uh, from the church. So I went and gave my resignation. And then the senior pastor said, hey, Michael, I need to have an hour-long exit interview with you. And I said, why? And he said that at our church, that's what we do when people are leaving. And I said, oh, okay. I mean, he's like my spiritual authority. He's a senior pastor. So I sat down in his office, door was closed behind me. And for an hour, he started uh, telling me that I need to stop, uh, drop out of seminary, that I needed to stop pursuing being a pastor. For an hour, he started saying that he is trying to protect the church from me. I was so confused. I mean, I was not perfect. I was young. I was so, I'm like, why, why are you saying this? 
Is it because like, there's retribution for what happened? I'm sticking up my, for my friend. Like, what's going on? And he kept going and he kept going for an hour. Never know why he did that. But I drove home and I got to my apartment and I sat down on the couch. And I just remember like staring at a wall blankly. I was numb for about an hour or two. I don't know. And then my roommates came home. They were at the same seminary that I was at. Hey, Michael, how's your day? I just broke down and wept. I wept not only because I didn't know if I should be a pastor anymore, but I wept because I didn't know if I wanted to be a part of the church anymore. And if you've never experienced that type of deconstruction, let me tell you right now, it's it was a, one of the darkest seasons that I've ever been through. And if it wasn't for my friends who are Christians, who are modeling what healthy family members and of Christians can look like, there's a really good chance that I could have just deconstructed my faith to nothing. But here's the deal. They sat with me. They wept with me. They lamented with me. They just sat there with me while I healed. And when I was ready, they reminded me what forgiveness could look like. When I was ready, they reminded me that a part of the family, that's how we exercise grace. It's hard, it's messy. And then finally, when I was ready, I thought, okay, I'm going to give church another try. One more try. But here's the deal. I was not going to go back to an unhealthy church. I was not going to go back to where I experienced harm. Why would I ever go back to a place that Jesus himself would vomit out? Like, no, I want to go to a healthy place. So I made it my mission to find a healthy congregation. No one's perfect. No church is perfect. There's going to be things wrong, but there's a difference when a church, a community saying, I want to be healthy. I want to move towards uh, following Jesus in a way where everyone can experience belonging. Because when that happens, it's powerful the world has not seen anything like that. When people are moving towards Jesus and following him in a healthy way, are you kidding me? Now, this is not a platform for me to say how healthy I think Blackhawk Church is. That's not my point. My point is I have seen the church do it wrong and I have seen the church try to do it right. And when we try to be healthy, when we link arms and say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to do what he says, I'm going to fall while I do it, but people are going to pick me up. I want to go because everyone can experience a sense of belonging. Nothing else matches that. It's only when the church tries to be healthy and do it right that I see different cultures come together who speak different languages, worshiping one God. It's when the church family moves towards health when I see people who have differences of opinions, different political leanings come together and actually talk about it and do life together. It's where I see busy adults hit the pause button and volunteer and teach kids about the gospel of Jesus. I see when church does it right, I see students experience radical acceptance that I don't get anywhere else. I see the lonely be woven into family when the church does it right and move towards health. The world can experience this sense of belonging that it's never seen before. And that's exactly Jesus's point. That's why he chose family. So we can belong. Nothing beats that. 
Now, some of you are listening to me right now. You hear me, but you've been hurt by the church. You've been burned by a Christian or different Christians, and you're not ready to come back. I totally get that. I've been there. Heal. But here's my encouragement. Don't heal alone. Don't deconstruct alone. Don't reconstruct alone. Find a Christian friend or two. Join a community group if you're not in one. Some of you are listening to me right now and you're actually ready to rejoin the family. You're ready to come back, but you haven't. I want to encourage you to do it. We need you. We're not the same without you. Some of you are listening to me right now and you have done that and you're hearing me talk about belonging, but you're like, I haven't really experienced that radical sense of belonging for whatever reason. There's probably a lot of different reasons. That's you, I'm sorry. Don't leave the church, lean into the church. We need you. We need all of you, help us be healthy. And some of you are listening to me right now and you're the active, the engaged Christian. And if that's you and I'm putting myself in that category and I'm speaking to myself right now, I want to encourage you to do a diagnostic of your own health. To be courageous and to see, Jesus, what are ways in my life that I'm not fully following you? What are ways that I'm not fully healthy? Show me them and make the courageous decision to move through them with help so that our church family can move more in a healthy direction. And if you think that you have it all together, talk to someone. <laughs> talk to someone who knows you and who's going to be gentle, but maybe point out a few things. This is my hope, and I'm going to end with this. My hope for Madison, my hope for wherever you are at when you're listening to me right now, is that all of us can take this seriously. All of us can look towards the unhealth in our lives and make the decision, I'm going to keep pushing through and following Jesus. My hope is that one day people don't point their fingers and say, I love Jesus, but I struggle with those people. My hope is that we can continue to move towards health in Jesus' name so that other people can look at us and say, I love Jesus and something's different. Something's different about those people. I don't know what it is but I want it. Can you imagine, church? Can you imagine? Let's pray. So Jesus, a lot of people love you and a lot of people can struggle with us. You knew that was the case. You knew it when you tapped Peter's shoulder, Matthew's, all of the disciples. You knew that when you tapped our shoulders. We're messy people. We need you. But I pray right now that you can continue to show us what it looks like to move towards health, to follow you, because the stakes are high. <laughs> because other people don't know you as father, don't know us as brothers and sisters. They don't know the hope of the world. God, I pray that our witness doesn't tarnish your witness. Be with us, Jesus, and be with those who are hurting because of the Christian witness. Help them in these, this deconstruction that they might be in and help them reconstruct. We love you. Be with your church. You love your church. And we love you in your name. Amen.